This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. From Gimlet, I'm Josh Muccio, and this is The Pitch. On today's episode, two founders make their pitch for an easier way for women to shop for their most basic commodity. But what happens when the investors you're pitching have already been burned by your competition? Phil Nadell is with Forefront Venture Partners. When he invests, he takes an active role in helping to build a company by focusing on the fundamentals. If you build that data set out, it could be very, very valuable. Jillian Manis is with Structure Capital. She sees the founder as the key to success for any startup. You are scrappy, you are confident. Daniel Galati is here with Comcast Ventures. He looks for companies where there's an opportunity to really build out the brand's identity. Yeah, I think the packaging looks really great and it, it's, it clearly sets the brand apart from sort of other commodity brands. And finally, on today's episode, in the fourth seat is Charles Hudson with Precursor Ventures. Even more than any other investor, he's open to early stage companies if he thinks they have the potential to catch fire. That consumer, to me, is still up for grabs. And I think if you could articulate a strategy about how you capture that person, then you've got a really strong story. Hello. Hey, I'm Charles. Nice, nice to meet you. you. How are you? Hey, I'm Jillian. Hi, Jillian. Hi. Hi. Nice, Hi. Nice, nice to meet you. Hi. Nice to meet you. Jane? I'm Phil. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. How are you? Nice to Jenna. Jenna. Jenna and Jane. Nice to meet you. I'm Phil. Hey, I'm Charles. So it's Jane and Jenna? Yeah. You can switch it up. We'll probably respond to either. We're used to it. I probably will. You're that flexible? We got to get used to it when we have such similar names. Jenna and Jane stand before the investors with the poise and confidence of two founders who are completely in their element. So I'm Jane. And I'm Jenna. We're the founders of Harper Wild. And we built Harper Wild to take the BS out of bra shopping, or as we like to call it, raw hopping. And so... Um, so yeah. Jenna and Jane both went to Wharton to get their MBA. They didn't go in with dreams of creating their own startup, but there is something about sitting in a classroom learning about the business world. You can't help but see opportunities all around you. And for Jane, the opportunity she saw was herself. I was this woman who loved shopping. I had nice shoes and nice pants, jeans and purses. And to be totally honest with you, I had a bra that I was wearing that was probably five years past its expiration date. And it just hit me, why are all these other companies coming out with an easier way to buy a more fairly priced commodity, yet a woman's most basic commodity is still so hard to buy and so expensive? I think uh, at the time I had an underwire uh, poking me in the side of my the bra I was currently wearing, a little TMI perhaps, but... <laughs> really resonated with me um, and really thought to myself, like, why is it um, that I'm not replacing my bras? 
And for me, I, I thought about the incumbents in the industry and where I could possibly go, one of whom owns 60% of the market. And these new incumbents have not chipped Thank away at that. secret. Yeah, we were trying to be uh, <laughs> polite. And, uh, but yes, um, it's completely hypersexualized, so antiquated. And, you know, the embellishments, the you need a padded version, the uncomfortable experience, um, that's not what's resonating with the modern empowered woman and should not be the experience that young girls are also going to. Uh, and that is why we created Harper Wild. Jane and Jenna are here today to raise $750,000 to help build their company so they can provide that modern, empowered woman with a better option for bra buying. Figuring out what that option was meant Jenna and Jane first had to do a little research, and that meant going to some pretty serious lengths. I mean, we went as far as to, with their permission, follow women home and actually understand what the process of buying bras is like for them online or in store and what bras they have at home. And so what we said is, how would it be best to find the right bra for you? And it was... What they discovered is that many women find shopping for bras at brick-and-mortar retailers to be a hassle. They struggle to find the right style and fit and often can't tell if a bra is right until after they've brought it home and worn it with other clothes. Jenna and Jane had a hunch that a mail-order free home try-on model was the key. Kind of like a stitch fix or trunk club for bras, but without a subscription. To test this theory, they came up with a pretty ingenious plan. So we had this idea. We were like, okay, free home try-on we think should work, but do we really need to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars, buy thousands of bras, manufacture them ourselves before we test it? Shouldn't we find a way to test it first? And so we bought 400 bras of existing brands, um, and we found a way to basically replicate the purchasing process and test it for $0 to us. So we had the Once they had the 400 bras, all in different styles and sizes, they laid them out on display at Jane's house in Philly. Then they invited 50 women to come over. They made it a little event, serving wine and snacks, encouraging the women to peruse the collection. By the end of the night, each woman had picked out five bras to take home and try on. And we let them keep them for a week. And anything they didn't want to keep, they returned to us. And then we went and returned anything that wasn't bought. So we were able to see which of the five styles we offered they actually took home, which ones they kept, um, and really cut that data to see which features mattered. What they learned is that women wanted fewer options, not more. The easier they could make the shopping experience for them, the more likely they were to buy. The simplicity um, is something that's very core to the brand. Um, This whole taking the BS out of bra shopping, and there's the whole theory on the paradox of choice, and when you have too many options, you're actually less likely to purchase. So we invested in uh, the fabric, we invested in the cups. Um, There's some, yeah, we can show you the products. Jane pulls out a small box with the three bra styles and hands it to the investors. The box slowly makes its way down the line from Phil to Daniel to Jillian and finally to Charles. Everyone takes their time looking at the bras, but Jillian is the only investor to actually lift one out of the box. How does kind of the stitch fix model work in the underwear category? Like, do you see friction on the consumer side there? Yeah, so, I mean, we can actually talk about since we've launched, um, fast forward a a year, um, when we launched with Free Home Try-On, and about 65% of our orders do come through this Free Home Try-On model, and we see um, 110% conversion. So, when you send out the the Free Home Try-On, what what percentage end up buying? So, two-thirds buy at least one or more. 
two-thirds by one more, okay. We've been fortunate enough to already have repeat purchases, um, which is really exciting in this category because women actually normally buy once per year. But to be to be fair, home try-on is um, like a tactic, not a... It's a tactic that can be replicated, obviously. The bet is you've created product that is fundamentally better than whatever, Adormi, TrueFit. The, that, that's the bet, right? That like... You have, You're paying a loyal you, customer you have, because you've given them the opportunity to try on But my point is that can be pretty easily replicated. So actually free home try on is not easily replicable. Um, the ability to operationally have enough inventory to buffer a free home try on um, logistical yeah. model is actually very complex. How long they keep the bras for, how many bras they're allowed to to actually take home with them. Um, so that's actually uh, not not just something that someone could say, okay, you know what, we're gonna start free home try-on right now. All right, so Jane is saying the free home try-on model is easier said than done. But it's not like other companies like Stitch Fix haven't cracked this code already. Hell, Zappos pioneered free home try-ons 20 years ago and is still going strong. But bras are actually kind of a tricky market. Lately, a handful of companies have tried and failed to find an innovative way to break through. So can I ask a question? What have you learned from past uh, companies, broad companies that have tried to launch in this space? Because I do know of a number of them. Um, you probably know more than I do, Charles, around that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And well, Phil. And Phil, sorry, and Phil. What Jillian is alluding to is that Charles and Phil both previously invested in a bra startup called True & Co. So I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to hear about from you because I don't know this space. Neither do I. Okay, at all. Um, and if I told you where I bought my bras, you would die a thousand deaths. Same so, here. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so this is, you know... I realize I'm the, you know, I'm the woman here and, and and supposedly I know more about this than everybody else does. But interestingly enough, Charles and Phil will know more about this than I will, which that's is actually- that's a debatable. What happened to True? It went under because, what do you think the reason was? It's really hard to say. Phil? I don't have a good sense. See, that's a problem for me. Like what went astray? Do you guys know what happened with that company? So they were they were selling other people's bras, so more of a okay. marketplace for bras. Okay. So the okay. whole They're idea was... I think they started doing their own uh, brand as well. They had some in there. Um, and their whole idea was there's so many options. It's a similar pain point. They were just solving it in a different way. So we agree on that. So what we've seen from a lot of the other companies is, um, you know, this focus on let's innovate on the bra. Let's make the perfect bra and keeping prices high near $70. I mean, there's thousands of bras out there. The issue is really in the process of buying it. I mean, we would talk to women, six, seven figure salaries who are like, honestly, I just go to, uh, you know, I buy a $10 maiden form bra online because I just don't even know where else to go. And that's really where we came in with a better experience and a more fairly priced product. The the thing I've always been surprised by is that like, a, and that's, I feel weird saying this as a man, when I've talked to my my friends about it, they've always you know bras on me wear every day, but like there's no objective bra. It's like it's got to work for you. My sense from talking to my friends like you've got to buy a couple of these, 
I think there's a loyalty factor here too, because I'll be really honest, I buy my bras at Target, okay, because they have a huge selection, um, they have lots of, I mean, and they actually are quite comfortable. I've also bought them at Spanx, I've also bought them at Victoria's Secret, I've also bought them, I mean, if I tell you how many types of bras I have, because I don't have really a loyalty to a brand, because I don't think there's been one brand that has gotten it right yet for me. So it's, it is that taking off what you're saying, one size cannot fit all because we were so vastly different. And I know that I also went to Victoria's Secret. I went through the whole bra sizing, which took an hour of time, which was an hour lost of my life. And um, But is that just because you haven't found anything that you like? No, like it was, these, actually, these, I was more these? curious to say because their selling was your bra's not fitting. And I thought, okay, well, I think my bra's fitting, but I've never been through a bra fit, so what, what the heck? And I went through it, and then I walked down. I was too frustrated because they kept get, giving me all these little push up and push out and push sideways. I had the whole <laughs> thing was ridiculous yeah. and see through and did I was thinking to myself what do I look like a playboy bunny I mean I really wanted something functional yes. so on one hand you know that's what bras are what people don't really they are functional okay yeah. I don't like the fact that we're objectified I don't like what Victoria's Secret and so for what you are saying you're saying all the right things it's the message but it's the brand loyalty that you're going to have to build up and I think that and Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's going to take a lot of time and a lot of capital to do that. I mean, the one thing that we found that's really interesting is that we do see that there is a lot of brand loyalty in this space. And that was one of the things we first set out to figure out, like, are people going to be willing to try a new a new brand? Um, and what we hear is that women, when they do find something they like, they want to go back and repurchase. Until they but, find the next thing. Or what happens is a lot of brands discontinue because they treat this as a fashion product and it's trending and that's what they that they treat it in that category whereas we see this in a different light as it being a staple a commodity it's the basic we say we're your 90 percent of the week bra um so you know to become that 90 percent of the week bra jenna and jane need to earn customers loyalty a challenge they think they're up for because according to them no one brand is serving people well enough to deserve that loyalty they're not trying to woo customers away from a brand they love they're just trying to finally give them a brand they can love. We had such similar conversations to this one where we sat with a woman who had really made it and I imagine you have the money to buy a nice bra but you're still buying Target ones and you have really nice other stuff on but you have a $20 bra. And that's what we heard anecdotally over and over again. We would sit down with these women who had the luxury of buying whatever they wanted. We could see that they cared about what they wore but they, wore, they bought a $20 bra. But and it still works for us. It works, and so you don't need this. So, so, what so, so is this like enough of a pain point then, do you feel like? It feels like the innovation is, uh, so like if you're happy with your Target I, product, I go right? Target and then I go online and I buy 10 of these. And, and like for, for sure I buy into the fact that you are, for the price, like a better product and like a better buying experience. But is that... Is that like the 10x better product that we look for as venture investors? Because because to your point, you said it yourself, like they're getting along just fine with the target product. And so like this seems like it's a little bit better for sure, 
but it's not obviously, at least not to me, like 10x better than the target brand. But it's as much as someone might, you know, have found something else that works for them, whether it's Target somewhere else, like most millennials are moving into cities. How are they going to like get there? Also, they're working 12 to 16 hour days. Neither of us, as we were getting out of the office at 10 or 11 p.m., even if we wanted to go bra shopping, we couldn't. All right. So Harper Wild may not be a huge improvement over the typical bra you might find at Target, but at least they save you the trip. And they also offer this other thing, a strong, funny brand voice. This actually isn't trivial. Brands like Dollar Shave Club and Casper Mattresses have been able to compete in really crowded markets in part because of their strong brand voice. It makes people like them. And then those people become customers. And that's one of the things that we've heard time and time again. Our customers are really excited about this, you know, cheeky, sophisticated, respectful, but don't take ourselves too seriously, you know, willing to put bullshit in the packaging um, and, you know, find different ways to relate and then build that trust that we can earn, you know, more quickly um, because we're really willing to, you know, put ourselves out there and be related. But I'm I'm just worried about the, the loyalty. I'm, I'm really worried about what is going to drive this. Yeah, I guess just to echo Jillian's um, point, I'm as a non-consumer, like I'm hearing two sides of the story. One side of the story is like, this is a category that has zero loyalty, right? Which is what you're talking about, which is the consumer of the category is just forever going to be a fickle consumer and their share of wallet will always be fragmented across multiple brands, in which case it's probably not that exciting a category. The the other story that I'm hearing, which is the kind of story that you guys are talking about, which is that there is a there is extreme brand loyalty. So which like which version is the truth? Like is Jillian an outlier or yeah, is it just like a category that will never engender strong loyalty? I mean, I think a lot of the disconnect lies in something that you said that I actually think was off base, which is um, happens all the time. <laughs> well, <laughs> fairly, you, you don't buy bras, um, which is that it's not a pain point. Um, If you had sat through the conversations we've sat through, I mean, we turned into therapists for a bit (laughs) of a period. People hate bra shopping. I was just going off of, to be fair, I I was just going off of what you said, which is people are happy with their target bra. And I think you said that too. So that based on a sample size of two, I was just concluding that. So I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But they're so upset with it that they'll resort to buying at the same place where they buy their dish soap. Yeah. Um, It's not that, you know, they're so loyal to Target or they believe in the mission of Target that they're sticking to it. It's the fact that, and what's going to keep them loyal is if it's so easy. They just don't want to deal with it. They they buy once per year because they want to get it over with. Like I actually have sort of the opposite reaction to the, the target bra, which is that people are saying, well, if, if everything sucks, I'm going to the lowest common denominator, consistent price. It's reliable. It's 20 bucks. If I'm going to spend, if I'm going to get something that's kind of a miserable experience, at least let me not spend a whole lot of this money This is on not it. a miserable experience. I'm very happy. For you. Yeah, so this is actually something that we feel very strongly about. Um, We can't be everything. Like we're prioritizing, we're picking one at the top, a number two, a number three. And we were both very clear on the fact that our number one is simplicity. And everything around, like when we say we take the BS out of bra shopping, you know, we don't lead with, we make the best bras. We definitely don't lead with low price. Um, We make it easier for women because they're getting out of work late. They don't have time. They don't want to do it. Um, We do that through free home trial. 
eye on the simplified options and the fair pricing, but simplicity is really, really what we, we lead with. I don't know if you mentioned this round is priced at how much? What's the valuation? This one's a $9 million with a 20% discount. How many customers so far? Because you're talking about a $9 million cap, right. So I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah, so we're, um, we've had around 25% month-over-month growth since launch. Um, we're at over 2,200 orders, so around 20,000, um, anticipated to be around 150,000 this year, um, and then getting to around 2.2 million for next year. So we launched at the end of June. How oh, goodness. Jenna and Jane have made their case for why there's a new bra company in town. Now, it's up to the investors. Here's Phil. Well, I think, I think you're, you're onto a real um, opportunity here uh, in, in building the brand, just what you were talking about. Um, and, and I think there, there's a huge opportunity in, in the bra sector to, to build that brand. So um, I think you're... You're definitely onto something. For me, it, it, it's just a matter of the numbers. Uh, the, where you are now in terms of traction, it's early. I get that. It's only a few months in, but the cap on the note, you know, doesn't reflect that, at least in my experience, comparing to other deals we look at. So for me, that just doesn't work. I can't justify paying, what was it, a $9 million cap when you're currently at 20000 a month. Um, and, you know, for that reason alone, uh, it just doesn't work for me, so I'm going to pass, but good luck. Phil's out. Here's Daniel. Um, I'm going to pass as well. Um, I think I'm totally up for making brand bets. Um, we invested in a way for luggage or shave club. Um, maybe because I just am naive, but I'm still not totally bought into this category. Like For us to make a brand bet, we really need to be excited about the category and between the many tombstones, um, kind of that have that have um, that have existed, as well as just the consumer behavior, I'm I'm just like not 100% bought into the category. And so, look, I think you guys are you guys obviously understand the consumer. You guys are have done a ton of really thoughtful work to get inside the the psyche, and that's that's to be commended. I think it's really rare. Um, so, look forward to seeing the progress. Daniel's out. Here's Charles. For me, I was impressed by your thoughtfulness about the problem. And I think, I don't know that I have the same vision for the brand principles and the brand anchor that you two do. But for me, I'd want to see a bit more sort of a feeling of alignment around kind of what the core principles are. But I think in terms of customer pain points, you two are well above what I'm accustomed to seeing. And I think you're well positioned there. But for me, it's just, I don't quite know that we see the opportunity the same way. So it, it's not quite right for me. Three out of four investors have passed. Here's Jillian. Okay, so ladies, uh, the, the, the experience for me is, it is the touch and feel. And I do have some thoughts because I think the product is good. I think it could be better. Um, I'll be honest with you, because even feeling around the cups and the wire, there are some jagged, if you'll, I'll let you see afterwards, but there's some, um, there's some sharp edges 
um, out of the middle bra. The I think it was the black bra. I don't know if this is something you're fixing and I'd have to get more into the design piece of it. For the most part, it's super smart. It's super smart. Um, I am, I'm really, really challenged by, and it comes off of what Charles is saying, which is I don't see that edge. I see the messaging and the fun to be fantastic. And that certainly is going to create that emotional and um, sort of excitement around this and also around the women uniting around this real pain, because it is a pain, um, and having fun with it. I need to see I need to see where you go with this and and I need to see how you're going to build loyalty. I think that's my big concern around this. I am so upset with the bra you know journey, right? This is not uplifting to me. Um, so I uh, so let me end on that. Jane and Jenna walk out of the room, leaving the investors to wonder if they made the right call. You know what? I think I'm, like, unduly influenced by the ones that have failed. Like, I always find I it agree. really hard to bet into a category. And I know this should absolutely not be the case because our whole job is to find, like, you know, the things that work and not to redline categories. Yes. But I always find it really difficult to bet into something that looks like something that didn't succeed. And they, they right? don't have such a clear differentiator, which is what you yeah. were saying. There's no real... I, th- I tell you, I felt so good about investing in True & Co. when they first came out because I thought, wow, they're really... They get it. You know, they're they're going to come out with... The- what happened? But, you, but a lot specific. of their pitch... I mean, like, it's funny. Like, the True & Co.'s pitch was largely, like, the, the core of it was, like, six, one company five years ago, like, or seven years ago, we invested. They're, like, one company controls 60% of the market... No one has any other market share. It's time. Like every that's company right. has that same narrative, and none of them can seem to chip through. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just feel like, right. how do you bet on the seventh player when six have right. gone out of business? Essentially, and there's it's tough. Yeah. And and yet and yet at the same time, like our whole job is not to redline and throw out the baby with the bathwater. And right. so, like you know, you're trying to then unpick. Okay, well then, why did these things? That's happen? right. Like, was it the team? Was there timing? Was it you know, improper execution, like, and, and you know, are these guys different? Because they do seem like a really well, compelling well, thing. They, they, so they, like- they, they say, they seem, seem to think that they have um, isolated that pain point differently. You know, yes. they're, they're viewing the, the buying experience differently, right, and the pain point differently, and that they're solving it. But is that enough? They, right. Is that enough? And are they right? I don't know if they're right. So maybe they are, maybe they're not. So because I think, I think it's the brand resonates or it doesn't. Right. Yeah. And I think you you don't have to tell this story about, oh, the market needs to mature for this to be like the category is already there and they're all big. And so, you know, it isn't that hard to not to downplay those guys. But like, you know, I think that is the bar for these companies, like to be a true billion dollar direct consumer brand, like the brand has to resonate and brand isn't one of those things you can necessarily iterate on, I don't believe. Like, I think. The consumer thinks what they think of you. And I think you can evolve a brand and build on it, but you can't, it's not software where you're iterating on it, you know, constantly. At least that's not my belief. I never thought about that, but that's a really good, that's a really good frame. Yes. 
And that's a wrap. Except on our show, it's never a wrap. What happened after the pitch you just heard? The story continues after a word from our sponsors. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. We talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, and one thread that connects them all, they're not just pitching their business, they're pitching themselves. Because small business owners know that their business is more than just a company, it's their whole life. And State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, and they know what it takes. They can help you choose personalized policies to fit your budget. That's the personal touch. That's small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. Small business owners know that it's not just business, it's personal. Your business is your life, and State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, so they know what it takes. They can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. And they live and work in your community. So you're not just getting an insurance plan, you're getting that personal touch. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. A month and a half has passed since we last heard from Jane and Jenna. So I figured it's time to get an update on how Harper Wild is doing. Yeah, things have been going really well. Um, we had a really successful month last month with uh, the holidays, and um, we've been growing the team. So uh, it's been busy, but all good things on our end. Oh, wow. So it sounds like things are growing. Yeah, well, we're really excited to be growing the team. Um, we've we've been pretty lean um, up until now, but we are um, going to be doubling the team in the new year. So we are stoked for that um, and really excited about the people we have coming on board. So doubling it from two to four? <laughs> Three to, to six okay. um, and then shortly after seven. <laughs> pretty close. Yeah, <laughs> close enough. <laughs> so thinking back to the pitch to the investors, like, what do you guys remember? What sticks out in your mind? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It was one of, um, I mean, probably one of the more unique um, pitching experiences we've had. Yeah, I mean, I think there's such a fun dynamic in the room because so many yeah. people are there talking with each other about it um, and kind of playing off each other. Did you know going into it that Phil and Charles were investors in um, True & Co? True & Co. Mm -hmm. Did you know going into it? Um, I think we had a sense for... One of them, if I remember. Now I'm having a hard time remembering what we knew before. Um, but I don't I don't think we knew both of them did. Okay. So, like, you weren't planning for, like, how that might affect things? I mean, that's, that's something that's come up quite a bit in conversations just because it's one of the more recent exits in our space. Um, so it was not the first time that we've heard it. Normally, we don't sit down with people who have invested in competitors because they just kind of bow out um, before we have the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but regardless of that, there, it still is a topic that, that comes up um, in conversation. So one thing I noticed during the pitch is that when you handed out the Harper Wild box of bras, 
uh, for the investors to look at. The only one who actually picked up the bras and examined them was Jillian. That really struck me. Was that something you noticed? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, there was probably all eyes on her, given that she was the only one of the four investors that um, has probably, you know, has worn a bra. Um, So I think, you know, kind of eyes on her to react to it. Um, I think on our end, I mean, we always want people to, um, you know, look at the product, inspect it. Um, It's funny, actually, if anything, that's we usually have the other the other side of the problem where um, we may be sitting across from a man and he doesn't want to touch the product. Um, so we were pretty happy that um, not only did she want to feel it and touch it and inspect it, but, you know, she wasn't afraid of it. <laughs> so do you find that a lot that the like male investors are skittish with your product? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's an unfortunate scenario with, you know, we are female founders and we are pitching a female product. And that is one of the biggest challenges that we're up against. I mean, you probably know the statistics um, just as well as we do about how few women get funded. And I think a big part of it is because at the end of a lot of conversations in a room full of men, you know, they, they come back to, well, I guess I'll have my wife or my sister or my daughter try it out. Um, and so, so it's a bit of, it's a bit unfortunate that women are so, um, not represented in the room for fundraising that it could all come down to one person or one wife at home. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of which, do you feel like your product, which is all about desexualizing something that's a commodity is coming at a time when women are really looking for products like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is the, uh, it couldn't be a better time for that. Um, You know, you see that women, it's, the over-sexualization is just um, completely antiquated. And, you know, like there's no, there should be no expectation that, um, you know, a woman's wearing a corset to work. You know, there's nothing to apologize for. We're, we deserve to be comfortable every day. Um, and we wanted to build something and a product and a service that, um, you know, empowers that woman who is in the boardroom or running a household or running around um, a hospital and, you know, helps her get through her every day. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've thought about this a lot just because it's obviously a pervasive problem. Um, in tech and in the world, like, and I think it's one thing to be able to, like, everybody agrees, like, well, this should be better, like, we should do this better. But yet we keep seeing, like, a lot of times that people fall into the same patterns. And I think it has a lot to do with the founding team, like, like who they actually are as people and less about what they actually say. So I'm wondering, what are you pulling from when you decide we want to do things differently? I guess a bit, I mean, of course you see stuff in the news um, and there's certainly things that we p- take a pretty hard stance on on not not doing in a similar way. I, I mean, for me at least, it's like definitely personal experience. I, I think honestly it was just, I mean, we, we were really, really excited about the opportunity to create a company that not just for our customers, but for our employees stood for women empowerment. Um, and we were excited to take a stance on that. I think we could have never imagined how unfortunately important it would be right now, um, but we couldn't be more grateful to have a voice in this moment and stand up during a movement like Me Too um, and be able to give a voice to to others as well. Um, 
Okay, so one thing I do we do want to cover is uh, how is the round going? Yeah, so we are doing a first close um, at the end of this month. We're super excited um, about some of the folks that we have involved. Um, so we have uh, some celebrities, um, a few Ooh. other uh, successful founders. Um, yeah, so we're we're excited to um, about where that can take us, yeah. and again, already translating that into some new hires, which we are also um, really excited about. That is exciting. Uh, who's who's investing? Um, so a lot of them want to remain anonymous. One that we can say and that we're really excited about is um, uh, an NBA player from the Golden State Warriors, Andre Iguodala and Rudy yeah. Klein Thomas. Um, so we're really excited to have them on board. Um, we're in close contact with Rudy quite a bit, and he is, um, he's been really supportive of everything that we're working towards, um, which is great. It's um, we're you know, it is a male-dominated uh, fundraising world out there, and it's really inspiring to us when we can, we can find someone like Rudy who just can rally behind us the way that he has. It sounds like Harper Wild is well on their way, which is really exciting. To me, it's especially great to see inroads made by founders who are practicing what they preach, They care about female empowerment, and they're actually doing something about it. Jenna and Jane told me that among other things, they're partnering with Glamour Magazine's The Girl Project to give access to education for girls in over 100 different companies. And they're working with Women Go Beyond, an initiative that provides female factory workers with skills they need to become economically independent. We wish Jenna and Jane the very best. And we have a question for you, our dear listeners. When you see companies going above and beyond like this, does it make a difference to you as a consumer? On our website, we've created a discussion section for our listeners. This week, we want to hear, how important is brand identity to you when making purchasing decisions? Do you specifically seek out brands that are doing more than just selling their product? Or do you simply look for the absolute best product available in the market? Join the discussion over at thepitch.show slash discuss. Next week, we're doing something a little different. Stay tuned after the credits to hear more about it. Our show is produced by me, Josh Muccio, Kareem Maddox, and Molly Donahue. We are edited by Devin Taylor. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder, with original music composed by The Musemaker and Bobby Lord. We were mixed by Enoch Kim, with help from Matt Bowl. Lisa Muccio plans our recording events, and thanks to Samira Sohail for her reporting on this episode. Harper Wilde applied to be on this show. If you know of a founder who's crushing it, send them, or yourself, on over to thepitch.show slash apply to be considered. You can find us on Twitter at The Pitch Show, and our email is thepitch at gimletmedia.com. And a quick disclaimer, no offer to invest is being made to or solicited from the listening audience on today's show. You've been listening to The Pitch from Gimlet Media. See you next week. Next week on The Pitch, we asked you, our listeners, for questions, and you delivered. On next week's show, we have answers from us and from our investors about building and pitching your business, getting acquired, and much more.
New episodes come out on Wednesdays. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.